The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents of Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more, SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan-friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto-friendly. They've all been well-researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor, and I'm a father to twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls, and I am a CPA. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the father to three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife. Eric is in a new house. <laughs> yes, he Eric, is. We're, Eric, we're going to start with you going around the horn because you have one of the most exciting aspects of this whole thing. You're, you're recording from a new location, even though you're still in Raleigh, North Carolina, right? That is correct. I moved about five miles away from my old house. I'm currently sitting on the floor. And as Michelle <laughs> pointed out with my back leaned up against the dresser, because I have no other place that I can, that I can record from. Uh, that's close enough to the router to make sure that the, I don't lose the connection. <laughs> but you sound great. You sound great. So oh, good, good. Yeah, you know, um, it's been, it actually has been a very smooth process. You know, every, all these, I've moved probably 17 times because we were in the Navy for 12 years hmm. and we, we moved a lot even in between that. And this was a real smooth one to tell you the truth. So very, very happy. My Melissa is pretty amazing at this process. She's got it down pat. So it worked out really well. Cool. Cool. But, Congratulations, man. 
Yeah, to the to, to what's going on, the interesting part about that is even though I only moved five miles away from my house, it's like running on the moon. I, <laughs> I, I don't know where to go. Um, we had a really nice sidewalk system where I used to be. Mm-hmm. And Grace and I could run. We could run all the way down to the Greenway, which is about six miles. And then we could run for 100 miles on the Greenway. You know, mm-hmm. we could just keep going out and backs you know, everywhere along the river. To get to that same greenway, I have to run down, you know, a couple of yellow line roads without sidewalks, a couple back roads, and then I got to take about four miles off road <laughs> to get to that greenway. So, yeah, Grace and I are mapping out new places to run, um, wearing our light vests every time we go out yeah. <laughs> because it's just it's just different. Like like I said, it's like running on the moon. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, only five miles away, but you know that's significant. Uh, it is. I get, we I get we it. actually had Melissa. She said, "Well, how about I just take you somewhere easy to run tonight?" So she drove us to the corner of one of our old runs, a loop, mm-hmm. and then we just ran that loop, and then she picked us up at the beginning of it. <laughs> oh man! It's like it's like that's the stress you didn't need tonight. So exactly. there's too, too many other exactly. stresses that we're not going to go the stress of trying to find a new place to run. I just want to run seven miles. I don't have to think about where we're going. <laughs> very thoughtful very good very good uh michelle what's new and exciting with you um i'm also in a new location this week except i'm going (laughs) back to my (laughs) original location in two days but um i actually stumbled across an article this week that i thought was really relevant that i wanted to share and we'll post a link but it's on runner's world it's uh, written by molly huddle and it's called feeling stuck you might be on the verge of a breakthrough And I think uh, we see a lot of people right now running really fast and running PRs, but we see also the other side of that. A lot of people that are kind of a year into pandemic life and struggling and feel like they haven't had any races and, you know, they're just kind of basically running on a plateau. And um, it has a lot of, you know, good insights into uh, how to just kind of stick with it. And um, even though you feel like you, might be plateauing. It could just be kind of what has to happen before you're going to have a big breakthrough. So um, we'll share that link. And I would just, you know, encourage anybody who's ever felt like, gosh, I haven't run a PR in so many years, or why do I keep running the same time over and over again when I do all these, you know, different types of things to run a PR? Um, It's a good article. So I enjoyed reading it and I just wanted to share it. Cool, cool. I appreciate that. I look forward to taking a look at it. I'm a Molly Huddle fan, as I've said on here before. And so I, I look forward to seeing what she had to say here. You know, yeah. in his book, Meb Kofleski, the book that have you finished reading 26 marathons yet? Michelle? I didn't start 26 marathons, but I did finish his autobiography. Okay, gotcha. So in 26 marathons, he talks about how most of the 26 marathons that he ran, he had one DNF, and they had one or two like really rough races. But otherwise, most of the rest of them were right in between 209 and 212. Yeah, he um, ran those is, times just, a lot. <laughs> yeah, just like super consistent. That's what he did. His PR was actually that big Boston win. Um, yeah. But, but he's, he actually saw that as something very positive. Not that, that, wow, I could never quite break through. But rather, he was very proud of the fact that he was consistent over time. Like given sure. all these various conditions and all these different situations, he was always able to run right there in that window. So let's talk about what I did this weekend. Um, <laughs> so, so Eric moved, which is great. Uh, 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 Michelle finished up reading the autobiography of Mev Kofleski, Um, and I ran a marathon. You mean um, you decided on Saturday that you were <laughs> in the mood to not run the half marathon on Sunday and hoping Atlanta track club would let you just jump into the marathon. Well, I, I, so as we discussed on last week's podcast, I was planning to run the half marathon at the Atlanta Motor Speedway, the Atlanta half marathon in their special uh, COVID precaution situation. Um, I, I was looking forward to doing that on Sunday. So George, I want to focus on a word you used there. You said planning to run. Now, when George <laughs> says he's planning something, it's usually six months in advance. But when did you decide to plan this run? Yeah. Okay. So you're totally right. And y'all were giving me a hard time about this, but it actually segues really well into talking about why I decided to do the marathon rather than the half marathon. Um, and so I, I had originally only signed up for the half marathon about a week before. And then I decided literally the day before 
that maybe I was going to ship to the marathon instead. And I wrote him an email and I said, if I wanted to switch to the marathon, could I actually do that? I wrote to the registration people and they wrote back and said, sure, you can do that. First thing tomorrow morning, just come to the solutions desk. So I went and, and asked. Now, I will say that when I showed up there like at 6 a.m. when registration was starting and, and I went to check in, she asked me my name and I told her my name and I said, I actually want to switch races. I'm registered for the half marathon and I want to switch to the marathon. Um, and the woman goes, okay, yeah, that's no problem. You just need to tell this woman here, whatever the other woman's name was. <laughs> and the other woman comes over and she goes, he needs to switch races. He's dropping down from the marathon to the half marathon. And I said, no, I'm going from the, the half marathon to the marathon. And she looked at me like I was insane. Because goes, nobody has ever done that. <laughs> In the history of Atlanta Track Club Marathon Weekend, nobody ever shows up and says, I want to run the full. Well, I'm only well, registered so, so the, for the, the half. The woman who actually had to switch the registration didn't think it was quite as crazy, but she actually repeated it three times. She said, she said, so you want to switch from the half marathon to the full marathon? And I said, yes, that's right. And she goes, so you're currently registered for the half marathon, but what you want to do today is run a full marathon. And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, so I'm going to move you from the half marathon to the marathon. And I said, yes. So she actually literally asked me three times to make sure that, that, that I, in fact, sir, you realize a marathon is 26.2 <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you realize that a half marathon is only half that distance. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, but so, anyway, George, did you want to do this because you didn't feel like you would be able to run the half as fast as you would want to run a half? All or right. did you want to just get in kind of a longer run in preparation for, you know, the other stuff that you have planned in the spring? It's not the latter. Um, it could have on some level been the former. Um, if, if I'm going to really be honest with myself, it could have been that now, the reason that I will say my official reason for, for actually deciding it was, was that as I thought about running a half marathon, I just wasn't really all that excited about running a half marathon. And, and over the course of the past year, my focus has shifted. Um, and I've gone from, from planning things six months out and being super excited about it and like every single workout being in line with whatever that long-term goal is I've gone from doing that to literally being like, okay, what races can I do on Zwift this afternoon? And that's how I've maintained my motivation over the course of the past year. My outlook has completely changed. And so I found that, that if I'm gonna keep on going and from keep on training and I'm gonna try and maintain any sort of fitness and come out the other side of this, okay, um, that I need to indulge those sorts of whims. Um, so did and, you come out okay? So, well, I mean, we'll get there. I, I might come out the other side of the pandemic. Okay. And so, so <laughs> alas, we're still in the midst of all of that. And so, so I can't quite tell you yet. So, so <laughs> circle back around with me in, in eight months and I'll let you know about that part. But, um, but, but no, I, it, I was not really all that excited to run a half marathon. Um, but the idea of running a marathon in this particular condition, this unique situation, um, it just, it just appealed to me a little bit more. And so, so I said, well, what if I, you know, go down there and try and run a marathon? Now, the problem with it, there are two problems. One problem is that I wasn't going to test my sketchers. That was supposed to be one of the things I was going to get out of the marathon. Which is the, why the, we the bought whole, the shoes. Yeah. So, do you so remember that, that, how that many, was obviously a problem. Do you remember how long we talked about the shoes? <laughs> it was almost as long as we talked about the off-road shoes. So, so true. True. It took a little while. Um, and so, so I still haven't had like a full-blown test of those. The farthest I've run in those is four miles. There was no way I was going to go out and run 26.2 miles in those. Uh, instead, I wore a pair of lightweight trainer racers, the New Balance Beacons, uh, same ones I wear in the Blue Ridge Relay. Uh, the other drawback of it is that I have learned that if I go into a race and I don't give my best effort, I will be frustrated afterwards, period. Like whether I'm trained for the race or not, whether I'm ready for the race or not, whether I'm tapered for the race or not. And by the way, all three of those things for this race were not. Did not exist. <laughs> um, like if I had gone down there and not given my best effort on that particular day, I would have been frustrated afterwards. Um, and so I, I still needed to run a marathon and I still needed to try and run hard and run the best I could on that day, even though I knew that the best I could do was probably not even going to be even remotely close to what I want to do um, at my next big marathon. Um, and so I went out there, I was conservative at the start. Um, and ultimately by the finish, I feel like it felt the way a marathon is supposed to feel. The last 10K was really brutally hard. I crossed the finish line spent. Um, 
but being 10 pounds overweight, having no uh, marathon specific training behind me, not being tapered, that meant that the, the mile splits were about 30 to 40 seconds slower than they would have been had I actually been trained up for a marathon and wearing shoes that are carbon plated and, and, and of course been at my fighting weight. So, um, so, I mean, it was a good effort. I'm proud of it. I should say, as the two of you make fun of me, I should say that, that, that nowhere over the course of the entire almost three hours that it took, did, did, did I say to myself, this is a bad idea. Like, I never thought it was a bad idea. That's um, good. Um, I, I, I never was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I never had that thought that never crossed my mind. Um, I was actually going to ask you at what mile did you wish that you had just stuck with the half marathon? <laughs> I, I actually, that thought never crossed my mind. It really did. That's pretty, that's mile awesome though. That's pretty, <laughs> so yeah, right. Um, it was, it was actually kind of funny. I literally, so, so the course was really crazy loopy course and you just kind of went all, all over the place. Um, there were parts of the course you literally went over three times. It felt like an Ironman run in a lot of ways because of that. And you had all these people that were running all these different things. They started all these different times. You never knew who your competitors were or where you stood and relation to the field. So it felt like an Ironman run in that regard. Um, but I actually passed by the starting line right at what was supposed to be my appointed time for the half marathon start. And so I, I saw what would have been my starting wave start, even though I was at that point, nine miles into my marathon. So, Suckers. so George, <laughs> part of the COVID, you know, uh, protocol for the race is there weren't mm -hmm. fueling stations on the course, right? Right. There, so there this were, was, actually. There were. Oh, there were? Yeah, there were. So, so the all, all the, all the, for... all the bot for all of us, all, oh. everything was sealed. So all the bottles were sealed. Um, and, but they had gels out and all that sort of thing. And volunteers basically kind of put it all out there and just stood back and cheered for you. Um, and so, so I had read that beforehand. Um, okay. and so I, I got my gels and, and then I just took water off the course. Like I always did. I did have one moment of hesitation because I used what is my standard, uh, approach when it comes to fueling. But since this marathon was about 20 minutes slower than like what my marathons normally would be, I got to about mile 18 or 19. And I was like, I don't know if I should have fueled this differently because of the extra 20 minutes. You see what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And so, so I did have a slight moment, moment of panic there. Um, and, and I was pretty wrecked at the finish. And so there might have been a bit of a fueling error there. Um, need to circle back around with our friends at Slayer X and talk to them about fueling a little bit more. I, uh, I, I probably made, made a few fueling errors there um, because I just didn't take into account the race was 20 minutes longer than I knew it was going to be 20 minutes longer, but I just didn't, I didn't take that into account when I was thinking about my fueling plan. So which awesome SlayRx product did you use, even though maybe so, you didn't bring enough with you? Spark plug, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> That's the good you stuff. Kidding? Need to even ask? So, so for sure. Um, uh, Justin Just Dugan was sure. out there. Uh, Justin Dugan, who is a, our, one of our cycling gurus who we bring on the podcast from time to time, was out there as part of the push assist division. Uh, he was pushing Justin Knight. Um, he is a Slayer X ambassador and he was, uh, he was fueling with Slayer X, I'm sure as well. So, yeah. uh, and he actually did really well. I saw Shrikanth uh, uh, from Slayer X on course, as a matter of fact, which was cool. So, so yeah, cool. even though Slayer X wasn't an official part of the, uh, of, of the marathon itself, uh, they were definitely all over the course, which was cool. It was good to see all of them. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad I did it. I was definitely, like I said, wrecked for took Monday off, took Tuesday off, hard time going up and down the stairs, really, really hard time going up and down the stairs. Um, this morning had the virtual trainer road bike workout and did it at a much lower intensity than, than it was written for. Um, but felt a lot better. Um, when I was, when I was done with it. So, so starting to feel a little bit better now. Um, and then I have a marathon in eight weeks. And so, you know, I, I got to recover quickly and then try and do this virtual marathon in eight weeks. So this will also be, if I pull it off, it'll be the closest I've ever done two marathons in a row as well. And how um, does your Achilles feel? My Achilles is actually not bad. That's awesome. Which, which, which surprises me. Um, my, my Achilles hurt me in the last hour of the race. It was but hurting. maybe it's because you wore the beacons. It might like you, be. You went with a shoe that you know yeah and I, and I didn't have any heel lifts in them um and and that's that's the longest i've ever run in a pair of beacons uninterrupted um and so so yeah it, it definitely hurt in the latter part of the race but it didn't really it hasn't really hurt all that much over the course of the last couple of days i that's should awesome. say by the way speaking of that my achilles has been feeling pretty good over the course of the last couple of months um and i think there's a few different reasons for that a few different things i've tried that i think have, have made it feel better 
but chief among them is the fact that I've been using a percussive massager as recommended to me by Eric tech guru, Eric Hall. And so, so he said that, that one of his gift suggestions for the holidays was to get a percussive massager. And, and so I got one and gave it to myself for Christmas or well, my <laughs> wife gave it to me for Christmas, but she gave me a hard time because I bought it for myself and said that it was my gift from her to me. Um, and, uh, and, uh, cause I wanted to go ahead and start using it. Um, and I've been using it. I don't use it every day. I use it like three or four times a week. Cause I actually find it feels better if I do it and let it recover, um, like two days later. Um, but I, I think that's one of the reasons why my Achilles has actually been feeling pretty good throughout the course of, of 2021 so far is because I've been using that on a fairly regular basis. Um, and it does things I think that other things I've used in the past do not do. I think it, it gets to trigger points and releases them and, and uh, relieves a lot of that, that pulling and stress on my Achilles. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, over the pandemic period, my Achilles has felt much, much better. And it only actually started hurting. I've been able to do a lot of runs without it hurting at all. The last mm. two runs I did at the end of them, I was thinking, man, it was a 10 mile and a seven mile that I didn't go really hard at. And I thought, wow, it really a little tight. And I realized, well, I've packed the mm. hat a day. I don't mm. know where it is. <laughs> so I haven't been using it. But I, I think another really simple thing that's been helping me out is I, I told you about this, George. You know, I looked at all my dress shoes and they're all torn up in the heel. I, I don't think they fit really well. Well, mm -hmm. because I'm only going to the office one out of every three weeks, I've mm -hmm. been walking around in slippers or barefoot at home. So I haven't had all that irritation on my Achilles from my work shoes. And I think that's cool. been another thing that's been helping me out a lot. But I, go. I'll go back to the the, uh, the massager. Yeah, I haven't had it for, I don't know, four days, two days of running. And my Achilles was telling me, you know, you need to get that thing back on. The <laughs> you, need, you need to unpack that thing. And, and, you need to and unpack that to thing use. and get it back on the calves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you would so. even pack that. That seems like something that would just go in the front seat of the car so that you would just know where it <laughs> yeah. is. You know how many things I thought should go in the front seat of the car? Like uh, the, the That's safe, a full front seat. The gun, the Bostons, and the... The, the, the children, the wife. Yeah. I, no, they, they have their own car. They have their own car. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about a couple of other results real quick. I finished 11th, by the way, um, and, and which, which I was cool with. Um, there was not really an elite component at this race. Um, there, they had this long list of people invited to the, uh, to the half marathon who we'll talk about here in just a minute, but they had, they had one person in the elite category in the, in the marathon uh, and he won. Um, <laughs> um, and, and, um, and then I, I finished 11th overall but there were some sort of interesting results in front of me. Um, you know, I was looking at the results online and there was this guy from Bluffton, South Carolina, who was 61 years old, who ran 251.12 named Jim Palmer. And I was like, oh, this is a guy that, you know, he's supposed to run the half marathon. And, and I look him up and, and he's kind of a badass. And he actually <laughs> ran 251 as a 61 year old. And he finished like sixth or seventh in the race. And, and of course won the master's title. Um, and, there was an article about him in Podium Runner that was written by Andy Burfoot last year that he is one of a sm very small group of people who have run sub three hour marathons in six decades. Um, and so he's done it now in the 2020s um, and he did it in the 20 teens. He did it in the 2000s. He did it in the 1990s. He did it in the 1980s. Is that six? 80s, 90s, 2000s and in the That's 1970s. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and he actually holds the record for the longest distance between his three hour marathons. Um, the, the, the amount of time between his first three hour sub three and his most recent sub three is, is like 44 years. Um, and so pretty incredible, pretty long time to be running at that level for sure. Um, I did realize when I read that article, I have four decades, which is kind of cool. Um, so, you know, maybe when I'm 61, I'll be looking at the six decade mark. Um, and then in addition to getting beaten by him, I was also behind, uh, two women. Um, and the second place woman was a woman named Nancy Jurgens, uh, and she's 43 years old. Um, and so I was actually the third master in the race. 
um, behind a 61 year old man, behind a 43 year old woman, and then me. <laughs> um, and then she, Nancy Jergens, actually only lost the race by six seconds. She ran 252.51, um, and the winner ran 252.45. All right. So, speaking of people who ran faster than me, uh, Molly Seidel also ran a lot faster than me. Uh, she, of course, only merely ran the half marathon. <laughs> Uh, but Molly Seidel actually ran the fastest half marathon ever run by a woman in the state of Georgia. Uh, tell us about it, Michelle. Yeah, so Molly Seidel came back to Atlanta a year after uh, running the marathon trials here and making her first Olympic team. Um, she came out to run a PR. She ran a 108.29. It was a 51-second uh, personal best for her. She was paced pretty perfectly by Atlanta Track Club's Wilkerson Given. And, um, you know, I think when you, when she finished, I mean, you could just see, she looked like she was just running through a cloud of humidity. So mm -hmm. I think yeah. this is a pretty good uh, marker for her as she starts her buildup uh, to what obviously we hope is the Tokyo marathon this summer. Um, mm -hmm. She's super fit. She's got a new sponsor. She's been at altitude. So I think she was pretty pleased with her performance here. And then uh, followed closely behind her is um, a Hanson's Brooks runner, Natasha Rogers, who I happen to just really like her story. Um, she came in second. She was only four seconds off her PR. Um, it's her best finish basically since winning the half marathon championships a few years ago. And then uh, Samantha Palmer came in third and won 11-16. So I think the Atlanta Track Club did a great job of, you know, getting some pretty stacked elite fields for the half distance. It's just mm -hmm. that it was a pretty, as George can attest to, warm, humid morning. Yeah, it was super um, And humid. it just made it hard for people to come run as fast as they had wanted to run, uh, which yeah, is it, what made Molly's performance really even more impressive. So. Yeah. I was, I was kind of stunned by that actually. No, it was, it's, so it was a super humid morning. It was right about, um, it was right about 55 degrees. And so it wasn't super warm, um, but it was 100% humidity. It had been raining and this, the mist was just sitting in the air and it was like overcast and foggy and stuff like that. And so, yeah, super humid. Um, and it was not a flat course by any stretch either, by the way. Um, I think that when we heard, oh, Atlanta Motor Speedway, and then it finishes on the track, we thought it was going to be a flat course. It wasn't at all a flat course. It literally started with an uphill run. It started with a half mile uphill. Um, and, and you just went into that, but then it was up and down and up and down. And then the roads themselves, not only on the track, but the roads themselves were really heavily graded. Um, and so I think one of the reasons why my, my Achilles was bothering me in the back half of the race, one of the several reasons is because of the grade of the road. Um, so I wouldn't put this as a fast course by any stretch and it definitely sure. wasn't fast conditions. And so when, when I finished that race and you had texted me, oh, well, Molly Huddle ran 108.29, I was kind of blown away by that. Um, so hashtag Puma fam. Um, the, the woman standing next to me at the start line. I was, was going to segue to that. <laughs> was wearing a pair of nitros. Did you ask um, her about them? I, I, yeah. <laughs> and what did she say? So I didn't really ask her about them that much because we're standing on the starting line and, and, and they had little uh, dots on the ground in order to keep everybody spread out the starting line, right? And everybody had to be masked at the start. Um, and you can take off your mask when you start running. And so I looked over and I saw them and I was like, oh, snap. Um, and they're, they're these kind of bright salmon pink colored shoes. And I, I went, I like your shoes. And, and she's like, what? Because the music's playing and stuff. And I said, <laughs> I like your shoes. Um, and I can't like mouth it because I have a mask on. And, and she, she, she goes, oh, thanks. I said, they're the first ones I've seen. She goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I didn't really get to ask her like too much about how much she liked them and everything like that. But I, if I, I was there, say, I would have gone over and like headed them <laughs> you, you you would have you would have pulled one off of her foot to take a closer look so. do you mind if i try those on we have three minutes before the starting gun goes off <laughs> that's right that's right um but it was funny to be standing next to my on the starting line wearing the shoes that we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast already here um in the men's half marathon um there were two handsome brooks guys that came in um, a guy named uh, abdi samed abdi and zach panning went uh, one and two um one of them, Abdi ran 103.59 and Panning ran 104 flat. Um, it's worth mentioning that Matt Janos uh, finished third uh, and Matt Janos is post-COVID. Um, he actually got sick with COVID a few months ago um, and has been on the road to recover from that. And so uh, kudos to him for, for pulling it back together and, and putting together a good race here. Um, and kudos while we're handing them out to the Atlanta Track Club um, for, for putting on a safe race. The only complaint that I have about the race is that we finished inside the stadium on the track, right? And then we're in that whole space 
And the whole thing, by the way, it felt very odd, but it felt precisely like it was supposed to in that it's such a gigantic space with so few people in it. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, and, and again, it just felt weird because they could have put on a marathon with 45,000 people in it easily in that space. That's how big the space was. And there was less than a 10th that number. And so it was just a weird feeling to be in such a gigantic space with so few people. Um, but again, that's exactly what it's supposed to feel. Um, and the only complaint I have is that you finish on the track there. And then in order to get back to your car, which is kind of far away, you had to go up the stadium <laughs> stairs. <laughs> How'd that feel, George? It felt awful. I thought I was <laughs> never going to get back to my car. I swear. I literally had that thought. Like, okay, so I said I never regretted running it. And I didn't. I, I didn't. At that moment, I was not regretting running the marathon. I was regretting being a runner. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is stupid. Like, why am I spending my life with this? <laughs> That's um, stupid with two O's. Yes, absolutely. That's um, exactly and, how I felt after the 50K. <laughs> this is the stupidest thing ever. Nobody would ever do this to themselves. Um, but fortunately, I ran into a friend of mine, uh, Drew Abernathy. He's a former neighbor who ran the half marathon and ran into him. And then he and I were, of course, masked up and walked back to the cars. And, and so talking to him took my mind off of how slowly I was moving and how, how much pain I was in trying to get over the stadium and then down the ramp of the stadium back out into the parking lot there. So, yeah, that's my only complaint. But so, George, that's something they could this, this reminds me of the picture you posted to the group chat. And I couldn't figure out why you put it. We, we, this whole workup, we were talking about the shoes you were going to wear. <laughs> and you put under the picture, I wish you could see my shoes. <laughs> we're in the recovery shoes and socks weren't you absolutely yeah 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 as soon as i got back to my car i pulled on my uh pulled on my my, my recovery outfit which included my alfani loafers and my alfani loafers <laughs> and i was i was wishing i there was not a bag check i was wishing i had him when i was walking up those stadium stairs but alas i did not yeah. Um, uh, so big shout out to the Atlanta Track Club. And as I drove in, and it's funny, actually, the Brooks Hansen people tweeted this today. They, they noticed the same thing about Rich. Yeah. Yeah. I so saw Rich Kevin Kanaan, that. Rich Kanaan, who's, a, who's an Olympian, went um, and, and a world championships medalist, um, is now the executive director of the, the, um, the Atlanta Track Club. And when I drove in that morning, just before 6 a.m., he was directing traffic. Um, and you wouldn't have known it was him. He doesn't have like a special name tag on or anything. And he's masked. Um, but I did some runs with him, you know, 25 years ago. And so, so I recognize him um, and, and he's directing traffic. And then as I was leaving and the races are still going on, um, he was directing traffic as people were leaving. Um, so I rolled in the window. I said, good job, Rich. He goes, thanks for coming. And yeah, but I, I think that's a, that's a particular sort of humility um, to put on that sort of race and then to, to direct traffic at the race. Um, so kudos to him for a good race and for being a generally cool guy. <laughs> Do we know if it was a good weekend for Atlanta track club, like revenue wise or revenue I mean, I wise? Was, I don't think I we just, know yeah. everything I've read that they've posted online have said that, that it was a good, they're, they're very proud of having pulled it off. Great. Um, and, so happy but I don't, I, I don't know revenue wise. It's hard to say. Yeah. I, I don't imagine it was nearly as, as, as fantastic as it would have been otherwise, but, sure. um, but they were able to pull off a race. Speaking of virtual races and the such, Come and on, the like, that's such a good segue. Uh, thank you. Uh, there was a virtual uh, aspect to this race, um, and as it turns out, this fall in October, there's going to be a virtual option for the Boston Marathon. Um, they announced that this week, the Boston Marathon, for which you normally have to qualify, um, is going to have a reduced, they, they, they see themselves having a reduced field for the in-person Boston race in October. Um, and in order to make up for that, they're offering a virtual Boston to anyone who wants to register for it. Um, and so you don't have to have a qualifying time to register for the virtual Boston. Anybody who wants to take part can, and they're expecting 70,000 people. Um, they're saying we're actually gonna cap it at 70,000 people. And so they, they may be expecting more than that. Um, what do y'all think about this? This is a quite the topic of conversation this week. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, similar to kind of how I was hoping Atlanta Track Club this weekend was good for them revenue wise. I think one of the industries hit 
you know, the most drastically in the pandemic are, you know, New York Roadrunners, Boston Athletic Association, Atlanta Track Club trying to recover from the marathon trials last year. So there's just no races, there's no revenue. And the BAA just did a series of, you know, a few dozen people cut them from their payroll. So I think it's probably uh, mostly a way to generate revenue that they desperately need just to keep, you know, whatever they can afloat. Um, I think I would be surprised if 70,000 people register. That's the, that's what I'm most curious about is if you actually don't qualify, if you've never qualified, if you can't qualify, do you take the chance and sign up to, you know, get a Boston marathon finisher certificate, buy a piece of gear, say that you ran it, or do you kind of continue to accept the fact that this is sort of for the elite amateurs and, you're just not one of them. So, or do you, do, or do you um, continue to strive for the day when you will be able to get into Boston via the charity route or something else like that? Is, is, do, do you try and continue to qualify for the in-person one? Like, so people yeah. who say, I want to run Boston someday, is this going to check that box for them or, or not? I mean, having done a virtual Boston last year, I would say it absolutely, and having done Boston, you know, prior it absolutely cannot check the box for the in-person race. So anybody who thinks that, <laughs> I think that's a little bit of a fallacy. Um, but, you know, if that's what gets people to sign up and what gets people to train for a marathon and what helps the BAA stay afloat, mm-hmm. I don't know. Can you blame them? I, I mean, I think I was mostly just shocked that they would open it to anybody and also up to 70,000 people. And I think if we're looking at about 20,000 for the road race, I mean, that means about a hundred thousand people running in some way or another, the Boston marathon during that Mm -hmm. week in October. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think, George? I I don't know either. The, the, I haven't seen anything about whether Abbott and the world marathon majors will accept this as one of your six stars. Last year, they said, if you're running virtual Boston, it doesn't count as one of your six stars. If you're trying to get the six star medal. Um, and so I don't know whether they're going to change that this year. Um, it seems know. less likely that it would count this year, especially if it didn't count last year. I agree. I agree. Because all of us who ran the virtual last year had either qualified or had a charity spot, right? Right. right. So yeah, no, the, yeah, the virtual option was only open last year for people who had already qualified and were right. already registered for, for the Boston marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 2020. So, so, so yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny, Eric last week brought up the idea of, of you know, the post-COVID world and what is the, the post-COVID normal going to be. And I think, as I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about the race this weekend, I think one of the post-COVID normals in, in the running world is going to be that road races are almost always going to have a virtual option. I think, I think that's going to be a new, a new normal. Um, and there'll, there'll be sort of some sort of relationship between you know, in-person and virtual, like what you won't be able to necessarily win the awards if you do virtual um, and that sort of thing. But I think that most races are going to offer a virtual option um, like the Atlanta marathon and the half marathon did this past weekend. Um, And so on the one hand, I can totally see that being a new normal, but the fact that Boston is doing a virtual option, something about that feels surprising and and different. Eric, what do you think? Not Boston. So, yeah. So if, if you had this dream of running Boston, part of that must be, unless you're not true to yourself, part of that must be the act of getting into the race. Mm-hmm. And if anybody can run it, it's just another 26.2 miles. Mm-hmm. It's a tra- it, it might as well be a training run. There's no, there's no corral. There's no start line. There's no crowd. There's no, even if you get a, finisher certificate it's not a boston finisher certificate. you didn't go to boston mm-hmm. although some people you will, sure you will get a boston will finisher medal they said they said that they'll, they'll give finisher medals right but there whether it's stamped on the medal or whether it's stamped in reality and not on the medal <laughs> you didn't run boston yeah so i look at it i 100 percent agree with michelle because i empathize with these organizations that they're they're you know, funding mechanisms just got demolished, you know, and they, they need to survive. And I actually agree with you, George, that having a virtual option for big races is a great idea, but it's not the race, mm-hmm. you know, you're and and the thing about Boston. So if they did that for the Atlanta half marathon, the Atlanta marathon, they do that for, 
you know, all these other races. Oh, okay. But the point of Boston is it's a race. Like, like Michelle said, it's for the, the elite amateurs. It's a race. The 90% of those people are out there to set a PR, you know, to run Boston. Once you open it up to the virtual world, it's, it's just to run 26.2 miles for a lot of people. And if you're doing a hundred thousand people, that's probably 50, 60,000 of those. So it's not really Boston. So I think in a sense that kind of cheapens the event. It cheapens it for the people who really strive to qualify, spend years mm -hmm. trying to qualify or have spent years getting themselves into the shape that they can qualify. So it's, I, I'm, I, it's a conundrum. It's a, in my head, it's like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Because I see the necessity for it, but then I also see eh, it's not really Boston. I, you know, I, I wonder, and so I have two things about it. Um, one, the, the hardest race for me to get into in the world is the London Marathon. And the London Marathon is going to be offering a virtual option this fall. 50,000 people, right? So, yeah, they're, 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 they're talking about having 50,000 people in person, 50,000 people uh, virtually. And I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, and and I, I don't want to run the virtual London Marathon. I want to run the London Marathon. Um, and so so doing the virtual race doesn't really appeal to me all that much. Um, and so, so I, do, I, I do think there's a difference there. I wonder, and we're going to talk here in just a minute about how clearly the people at USATF are listening to our podcast because they enacted some of the suggestions we made last week. But I wonder whether BAA the Boston Athletic Association can potentially make the virtual option like a gateway to the in-person option. And so, so for people who, who haven't qualified in the past or who haven't run qualifying times in the past, what if they were to say, we're going to take, we're going to take 1,000 people from the virtual race, not the fastest 1,000 people, but just 1,000 people from the virtual race. Everybody who finishes the virtual race will be entered in a drawing and we're gonna draw out 1,000 names. Would, would people then wanna do that? Um, I kind of feel like that would be sort of cool. And, and that would be the means by which you qualified for Boston would be finishing the virtual you didn't You didn't qualify. You're not no, qualified. But you did. You did. No, 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 no. You qualified yeah, because you got on the computer and registered for a virtual race. And, and then you got a 2% chance of a lottery to get into and then, the and race. Then, and then ran. No, no. To me, to, no, 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 to me no, no, that's no. qualifying. You can walk it. You can no, walk yeah, it absolutely. To me, that's qualifying. That's no. qualifying in the same way that, that, that raising money and getting a charity slot is qualifying. Yeah, this is a horrible idea. Limited and they're understood. So, and it's part of the I, 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 think that's, I think that's qualifying. I count that as qualifying. No, uh, if, if they were to say that. And, and I, no, because when you do a charity spot, you didn't qualify either. So, oh, see, I disagree with you on that. <laughs> you worked hard for it and you have a, you have a, there's a valid reason for it. And it's a great reason for it, but you didn't qualify. So I, 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 I would call that qualifying. I, I, I would call you, you got yourself a spot, whether you got yourself a spot by running fast or got yourself a spot by raising money, you got yourself a spot. That, and and so, so I consider those to be equal to one another. And so if they were then to say, okay, now we're gonna, you're gonna get yourself a spot by being one of a thousand people who finished the virtual Boston Marathon and then had their names drawn, I would consider that to be an equal qualifier as well. What's um, the motivation so is, so, so if BAA is listening, that's what I would suggest. Why? Um, what does so, that do so, for them? So it gets more people to sign up. Exactly. Think. So it's yeah. a marketing ploy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it gets more people to sign up. That is, after all, the reason why I signed up for the World Marathon Major Global Marathon on the weekend of May 1st and 2nd. Is Now, I still have to run fast on that day. <laughs> um, they still say that, that, that they're going to take only the fast runners on those days. But, but if I run one of the fastest virtual marathons on those days, I can potentially qualify for the World Marathon Major Acre Championship in 2022, which will hopefully be in London. And that's how I get to go to London. <laughs> but we'll see. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so I already have a marathon in Tokyo this time next year. I was going to wow. say, you're not that's that insane. far ahead of yourself. So, so, yeah, no kidding. Um, Didn't but, you already uh, buy your plane tickets for Tokyo 2022? No, but we still have we still have plane we still have airline credit I think from our plane tickets from Tokyo 2020. <laughs> so so I feel like those tickets don't open for another eight to ten weeks anyway. So it's it'll too be a far out. While. It'll be a little while. Yeah. So but but no, my my wife after I I will say after I ran this marathon this past week and my my wife the travel agent was was ready to start booking tickets for this time next year um, because. This weekend, 
a year ago is when the Tokyo Marathon would have been taking place and we would have all been in Tokyo. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, we will see whether they change the nature of it or, or whether they say, maybe they'll say you can run a qualifying time in the Boston virtual marathon or something like that, which I don't know if they're going to do that or not. Um, but we'll see. Um, that it doesn't have to be a certified course as long as you have a GPS uh, that says you ran 26.2 miles in a qualifying time that can actually count as a qualifying time. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, I think that there are a lot of thoughts and issues related to this. And so uh, by all means, folks, if, if, if you are planning to run it, let us know why you're planning to run it and whether you're planning to run it and, and, and what you think about it. And, and, we'll bring you on. Um, uh, we're still looking for people to talk to us about their race reports this year. And so if somebody wants to do a race report on virtual Boston, after all, Michelle did a virtual race report on virtual or a race report on virtual Boston last year. So, uh, so we'll do that. Michelle what did not really hydrate very well. Um, so alas, did not reach out to our friends at Slayer X immediately prior to, but did before the 50 K and they hooked you up. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Thank you, SlayRx. <laughs> right on, right on. Eric, you have one more thing to say about it. Say it. Right. I'm going to sign up for virtual Boston, walk it backwards, and see if I can get a spot into real Boston that way. And then I'm so, not going to take it because I'm a purist. <laughs> You're I'm not going to take it just to spite me. <laughs> and just say, hey, George, look, I got in, but I'm not taking it because I didn't qualify. Yeah. I'm actually so, surprised to, to... by how personal Eric's, <laughs> you know, like he's it feels like he's taking personal offense to the fact that Boston Athletic Association is opening a virtual race to up to 70,000 participants. No, 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 They don't really care about you, Eric. Like, you missed it, Michelle. And, 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 and George has get, he has heard this for years. I'm a purist. It's the same reason why the Tron bike gives me heartburn on Zwift. If if you're not going to do the real event, if you're not going to apply as much reality as possible to what you're doing, it's a game and I, I don't like game in the system in any way, shape or form, like running one marathon on one weekend and getting credit for two. <laughs> that face though. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's just a tendency I have that I'm a purist and I want it to be, I want it to be real. So I, I, I don't think there's anything less real about it. I don't think there's anything more pure about saying that, that you can't ride a Tron bike on Zwift, for example, or, or, or that, that, that qualifying for Boston one way is more pure than, than, than another. George, um, it is less real if you are one of 70,000 people that sign up to run Boston virtually than if you are an actual Boston qualifier. No, it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's, it's definitely less real to run virtual Boston than it is to run in-person Boston starting in Hopkinton and finishing on Boylston. I totally agree with you on that. I totally agree with you on that. But to me, I don't draw a distinction between somebody. If, if they say, here's how you qualify, you can qualify with this time, you can qualify with this charity, or, and let's be clear, they haven't said this thing. This is totally hypothetical. I'm just suggesting that they do this. this um, they haven't actually said this. Arguing. Um, but, but, but if they were to say you can also qualify by having your name drawn after completing virtual Boston, that was off a qualifier. I would see those sorts of things all on the exact same plane that, the, 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 all those three, those three different means of qualifying would all count as qualifiers. Congratulations. This has now become the least <laughs> pleasant George and Eric show. I love you, George. So, oh, Eric and I have nothing but love for one another. But, so we clearly disagree about this, but, but I, I never mind being disagreed with. Um, and so, so that doesn't bother me at all. Um, but speaking of people listening to our podcast and speaking of people doing what it is that we suggest, uh, the USATF, we were complaining about them last week. And, and uh, Michelle said, where is the USATF in all of this stuff? We're having all of these great runs. We're having these people set Olympic qualifiers and they're basically doing it on their own. They're literally crowdsourcing the prize money, um, which I agree with you is insane. Um, it had and, by the, and that meet had the best broadcast coverage I've ever seen. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the broadcasting is great. The coverage is great. It's, it's all no nonsense. And, and Michelle said last week, where is USATF in all of this? Well, now we know. <laughs> USATF <laughs> announced today um, that they have a new series of track meets coming up over the course of the, uh, the next few months. Uh, called the Journey to Gold Tokyo Outdoor Track and Field Series. 
Um, and they wrote in their press release, it will be offering high level competitive opportunities for its professional athletes and Olympic hopefuls, prize money and additional opportunities for world athletics rankings. Um, the Journey to Gold Tokyo Series will consist of 11 meets in eight cities, providing over $1 million in prize money. The first competition series will be Saturday, April 3rd, with meets held through Sunday, June 6th. Um, so 11 meets, um, I think they have three of them, two or three of them are currently set for cities in Texas. One of them is set for a city in California. One of them is in Boston. Um, and the remaining six or seven of them are still to be determined um, where the location is actually going to be. Um, and so they announced it with much fanfare, but not with a great deal of details. They, they clearly like, heard us talking about it and they're like, oh Definitely. snap. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. They're, they're, like, they're like, we gotta get something out there. They're talking about us on Most Pleasant Exhaustion. They call us out. We need to make sure that we respond. And I so mean, that was every other organization in the country is running meets and races. And mm -hmm. if USATF plans that everyone is, you know, just going to show up at USA's over the summer and qualify for the Olympics, I mean, they really, it's about time they sort of stepped in and joined the club of people, you know, willing to make meets happen for athletes and give athletes opportunities to I run agree. races and get I qualifiers agree. and stuff like that. So I agree. I agree. Speaking of running races, let's talk about two more people here. Um, and then we're going to call it a day. Um, we're going to have next week's going to be tech week, by the way, we should say that, um, Diodora has a new carbon plated chew out that we want to definitely talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, our latest on running power. Um, since, uh, that's one of our, our, our tech themes here. I have a marathon's worth of, of running power data, uh, to share and to talk about. And then, uh, Erica and I are going to talk a little bit about that and, and with some cycling data that he gathered, uh, in the, 50 different challenges he did all at the same time a couple weeks ago. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit next week, but, but let's talk about two more kind of uh, runners who have run a lot of races. Uh, and the first one is Yuki Kawauchi. Um, Yuki Kawauchi, uh, we've talked about him so many times on this, this, uh, this podcast before, uh, Boston Marathon winner, but is best known for being somebody who runs a whole lot of marathons. Um, and he has now run over 100 marathons under 220. Um, and he is by far the most prolific sub 220 marathoner of all time. Now, to be clear, a 220 marathon is 520 per mile for 26.2 miles. Um, it is no small feat. Um, when I was coming along, it was the Olympic trials qualifying standard for the men. Now it's 219. Um, but, uh, but, but it is a, a massive barrier that he has now run under 101 times. Um, he ran under it one, for the hundredth time um, on December 20th of 2020, um, running 210.26 at the Hofu Marathon. Um, now, I said it's 100. He's done it 101 times because this past weekend, he actually ran the Lake Biwa Marathon. Um, and that was his 109th career marathon in his 101st sub-220 race. Um, and he ran a personal best. <laughs> he's 33 years old and he ran 207.27 which is fast. I mean, which is amazing. Um, and so good for him. Uh, Yuki Kawauchi continues to amaze and, and, and uh, continues to be appreciated. Now the Lake Biwa marathon, we should also point out, uh, Michelle wanted to make sure we talked about this as well. Um, he was, he, Yuki Kawauchi was talking about it. Um, and he said there was a runner who was 48 and ran under 220 for the first time in his career at Lake Biwa this past weekend. So I believe I could do that when I'm 49 or 50. Right now, I think I can stay under 220 until my late 40s or around 50. But if someone else who's 52 or 53 does it, I would probably make me feel like I could do that as well. I personally think I will never retire from marathons and continue to do this as long as I live. All right, let's go ahead and put it out here. And I'm going to mark the date. March 3rd, 2021, 33-year-old Yuki Kawauchi has run 101 sub-220 marathons. He's just PR'd. How many in his life do you think he will run, Michelle? Probably another 100. Mm -hmm. Unless he gets injured. I don't, he has, he, he has no reason to stop what he's doing. He's the, the doing whole, it the, so the, well. The injury thing is the incredible thing. Is that, I, yeah, that blows my mind a little bit. Eric, what do you think? I would love to see how he trains. Mm -hmm. He, he races. He just entire, races. Yeah, the entire <laughs> regime though, like, I would see, I'd like to see his fueling, like his training log, like rest days, 
Like mm-hmm. how, how do you do that? That's, that's just punishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to get to another hundred under 220, that's, that's going to be a feat. Mm-hmm. I, I really I, think that's going to be a stretch. I, I 150, 175, under 220. We'll see. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him get to 200, but that sounds insane. And he's 33. Stay, staying healthy is key. Yeah, because he hits like 40, 42 years old. Mm-hmm. 46, change. 47. 46, 47. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's that age, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. what are they doing running marathons? Um, no, I, I agree with you. I would like to see him do another 100. I think it's certainly possible. Uh, staying injury-free is key. Um, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting after he won Boston, um, and, and, uh, he got a lot more attention and people started looking more closely at his training. I mean, racing is a big part of his training because he races three times a, a, a month and most of them are marathons or above. Um, but, but there's more thought to it than you would think. Like he's not just going out there and banging his head against the wall. He actually is, is the races that he's choosing. He's choosing with purpose a lot of times. Um, and so, so that was one thing that struck me about it at the same time, one of the big takeaways I had when I read the way of the runner by, uh, by Addy Finn was that the Japanese runners tend to train kind of stupid. And so can't help, but wonder maybe if he was not in a Japanese training style, maybe he'd have 160 by now. I don't know. Um, or, or maybe he would have run 204 this past weekend, the same way that, that his countrymen did set the national record. So, um, I mean, but looking at the results of the Lake Biwa marathon, it's hard to make this declaration that the Japanese train pretty stupid when you consider how yeah. many men ran under 210 and how amazing the winner ran this past weekend. I mean, I that country, those men, the marathoners, and just to be clear, the Lake Biwa marathon is a men's only race. So that's mm-hmm. why we're talking about the men specifically, but mm-hmm. I mean, do they train stupid or do they just, I think they train with pride and enthusiasm, enthusiasm. And I think the country is so marathon into marathoning that mm-hmm. there's just the spirit of the marathon everywhere there. So what, one, one of the lines from that book that stands out is he says something to the effect of when you see how marathon crazy they are and how many people actually run, it makes you wonder why they're only the third fastest country behind Ethiopia and Kenya. Um, and, I mean, they and, don't have the altitude advantage. <laughs> so, well, the author ultimately puts it down to the way that they train, um, that they Got run it. hard. They, they, they basically train the way that Matthew Futterman says that Bob Larson says we should train by running hard all the time. <laughs> Which isn't really the way Bob Larson um, coached. And, and, so. and, on, and on pavement, <laughs> they, run, they, run, they run almost entirely on pavement, um, which is well, then that stands makes sense. in really stark that- contrast. That makes sense why they would never, you know, collectively be faster than the Ethiopians or the Africans. Right. So, so Lake Biwa, by the way, so, so this past weekend, 204.56 new Japanese national marathon record by a guy named uh, Kengo Suzuki. Uh, He ran 14.24 for his last 5k, just threw down there and got, got under the old record. Um, 10 men ran under 207, 13 men ran under 208, 14 men ran under 209. And those are all collective. Um, almost all of those were personal best or debut marathons. Uh, there were 28 more men under sub two. There were sub 209, 42 men sub 210, and 174 men ran under 220. 174 ran under 220 in a single race. Um, the most that have ever run under 220 in a single race before this past weekend was 105. Was that in um, Valencia? So I'm not sure where that was. Um, I looked it up immediately prior, but then actually look where the location was. Um, but yeah, before that, it was 105. Um, 174 went sub 220 at the Lake View Marathon this past weekend. So I'll just say if anyone wants to find the YouTube of that race, watching Suzuki make the break that he did at mm-hmm. the 36K mark was pretty mm-hmm. incredible. I mean, he was there with he was running behind a pacer and the lead guy and everyone went for their bottles and he just made Didn't he sneak around move. the other side? Like oh, they, yeah. they, I mean, they, they, just... they reached forward on their left and he went around their right or something. Yeah. It was, well, they yeah. reached, yeah, they reached <laughs> on their left and he went around the right and he just took off. And I don't want to say he never looked back. Cause he definitely looked back a few times that last 5k, but they were caught so off guard by his break that they had no chance to even 
they were taking their fluids and I think it, it's almost like they were assuming he was just going ahead to another fluid station and then he was going to slow down and he didn't do that. It's a, it's a pretty awesome clip. It is totally worth watching. Um, Very cool. It's he also 1424. 1424 yeah. for his last 5k. Yeah. 438 miles. Yeah. Yeah. So he, 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 he shifted, may have been running before that day, have been running about 258 per kilometer. Um, and he shifted down to about 251 to 252 per kilometer um and and just drop the hammer and none could kill them um it's pretty incredible yeah because he um, was running like 445s not that that's chump change right and then he knocked right. it down to 438s for the yeah. last 5k amazing considering yeah. i can't run a 438 <laughs> <laughs> during the club man um, <laughs> um all right and last person we'll talk about tonight um, we talked uh, just a few weeks ago about Pam Reed joining the 100 by 100 club. And so I wanted to make sure that we mentioned that Frederick Davis III has also joined that club. Um, we said that Pam Reed was the 17th person to join it. Uh, and Frederick Davis is now the 18th person to join it, even though for whatever reason, he actually ran his 100th 100 um, more than a year ago. And so I suppose he was probably actually the 17th. But let's talk about him real quick. Uh, Fred David, Frederick Davis III, he's 72 years old. Um, he's from Bedford, Ohio. Um, he finished his 100th 100 miler on December 13th, 2019 um, in Johannesburg, South Africa. He actually, he runs 100 milers, but he's actually, his specialty is running multi-day races. And so when he actually hit that 100 100th miler, it was part of a 20-day running festival where he ran 809 miles over the course of that 20 days. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know it's insane, um, but he started running in 1982 when he was 34 years old, ran his first ultra pretty soon after that in 1986. His first hundred miler was at the 1991 Mohican Trail 100 in Ohio. Um, and his most 100 mile finishes came in 2008 when he did 11 of them. And so if you actually do the math, he's 72 now, he did 11 of them when he was 59 years old in 2008. Um, he is a, uh, like we said, multi-day runner. Uh, he's done the Vol State 500 kilometers four times. Um, he's done the Sri Shinmoy 10-day uh, races in New York City that just literally goes around a block in New York City. Um, he's done that 12 times. Um, he's finished marathons in all 50 states. Uh, in 2013, he was an inaugural inductee into the Black Distance Runners Hall of Fame. Um, and he continues to run, of course, now, and he's done more than 300 ultras and more than 500 ultras and marathons together. So uh, congrats to him. Can we uh, just go back to that? He ran his 100th 100 miler yeah. during a 20-day yeah. running festival right. where he ran 809 <laughs> miles. Just, just think about that for a second. Oh yeah. Running 2000 miles in a year is a pretty big accomplishment. And in 20 days, he, he ran, ran about half, half of that. that. Yeah. Also, no, I, he's been running be 100s for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> like how do you Incredible. stay in the ultra game for 30 years? It's amazing. I agree. It's amazing. You know, it, it, it's, it's fitting. Of course, we talk about how, Oh, George switched the marathon this weekend. He's so crazy. I ain't nothing. <laughs> like Fred Davis is the crazy one. Yuki Kawaguchi is the crazy one. This had George, nothing to do. George goes for a marathon. That that's like that's like chump change. You kidding? This had nothing to do with George being crazy. <laughs> this had to do with George being so out of character. Truth. True. You actually true. said the reason you switched between the half marathon and the marathon is you were more, and I quote, jazzed. jazzed. Mm -hmm. Jazz. I'm doing jazz hands. Jazz <laughs> about running the marathon. It's so George like just so unplanned. I, you know, and I call this growth. This has yeah, been thanks, a year buddy. of growth for you, George. I'm so thanks, proud buddy. of you. I'm just thanks, so buddy. proud of you. So, Man, when yeah. I was reading those messages about George wanting to, when I got on Saturday night and I was reading George telling he was going to switch to the full, I was like, wait, what? Like, is this, what text box am I in? What, like, what are we doing here? 2021, man. It's making us do weird things. Global pandemics. They infect us in strange ways. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We appreciate you being here. Eric, thanks for being here, man. Hey, always what a, about always me? A joy. Always a joy. <laughs> and Michelle. You want to talk about always a joy? It is always a joy when you are here. Yeah. So, so thanks for being here, Michelle. All right.
Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx, and Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.